Welcome to another episode of Consider This. I am Steve Broadway, your host today, and I'm in the studio with Ryan Vincent and Jim Johnson. And we are going to talk about a Christian perspective on Israel, the land between the river and the sea. I think it's a very timely conversation, and we hope you find it interesting, enlightening, and encouraging. All right, guys, we're here in the studio together to uh, talk about something that's been in the in the news. Well, I guess the news has kind of made it top of mind, uh, but uh, the land of Israel and the people of Israel, the Jewish people, are uh, something that Christians think about a lot because of our relationship to uh, to the land and the people and the biblical story, which has come from them. It's a very important thing. And I, I know a lot of, uh, particularly, you know, American evangelical Christians have certain thoughts about all of that, uh, that we'll get, that we'll get into and talk about our perspective. But, um, why, why right now? Like uh, we sit around, you know, every week typically and Hey, what do we need to be talking about? And so this kind of came up and we were like, yeah, I think, I think we should talk about this. Uh, why, why is this a timely thing? Obviously, the war's going on, but let's talk yeah. about that. I mean, I would say one of the things is is that it's always timely in the sense that um, the book that we have is constantly dealing with that land, um, uh, the people of that land. Um, so uh, I, I was telling Uri, who was here recently, right, our guide from Israel, I was telling him the other day, you know, I, I didn't really ever have an anti-Semitic option in my thinking <laughs> because growing up, my top 10 heroes I had two hockey players and then eight Jews from Israel. If only the um, hockey players had been Jewish. It exactly. Would have been, it would have I been mean, a 10 for 10. Incredible. But and, and I'm not even kidding when I say that. Like growing up, like David and um, Samuel and Elijah, and then not to mention Jesus and Paul and Peter. And and so there was this, there's this strong emphasis of Israel always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's always, it's always good to have a conversation. And then what we're going to break down even more today is, is that whenever you're dealing with conflict, in the world. It doesn't have to come from this. There wasn't necessarily conflict in Israel, but a number of years ago when there was a conflict in Iraq, there was a rise in people's discussing of Israel because there is in in a lot of people's minds, it, particularly in America, this idea that Israel's going to play some role in the future. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. any kind of conflict, any kind of things going on around us, I think it's gonna it's gonna spark. So then you add to that a specific situation that's happening right in that part of the land, it becomes the kind of the blending together of all of these these ideas. Helpful. Any any additional thoughts about time? No, this? no. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you can't you can't be devoted to the scriptures and not have a vested interest in the the context that drives how we understand oh, yeah. all of it. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So. so let me put the big picture question out there. And, you know, as I reflect on the things that you guys have just said about the Christian's relationship to all that, I think back on the teaching that I've heard uh, really for the first 25 years of my Christian yeah. journey yeah. as an adult. Yeah. And yeah. all I heard was about eschatology, right? The study of end times or the ultimate destiny of humanity and the world and all that you could find in the Left Behind series or the late great planet Earth. It's this idea that became popular, honestly, in the late 1800s. And people lose their minds if you have a different view. Like I have family yeah. members that thought I'd gone crazy liberal just because I was thinking differently about it. Yeah. Um, and I think I've come to a much, I think, better understanding based on interpretive principles than, than I always heard for so long. Uh, so, but so this is an important question, and people really have strong opinions about it. But how should we view Israel? Uh, I guess the nation state, right? The modern nation state, maybe as well as just the Jewish people. But uh, if that can be differentiated, 
how should we view that in, in eschatology, or es- how should we view it biblically and from an eschatological perspective, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, bearing in mind good interpretive principles from of the Bible? Yeah, yeah it 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 can definitely get complex, but to to begin quite simply, Israel is um, it's first and foremost a people, and so we we can very quickly go to to borders between countries and governments, heads of states, but it is it is God's chosen race of people that he chose uh, in his mercy and in his grace to uh, represent him to the world and to be w- one of the primary vehicles through which he would restore a broken world. So, so Genesis 12. Yes. So it's the Abrahamic covenant. Yep. Um, and and I'll, I'll even concede, in that covenant is a land. So the, right. the, the geography right. is not insignificant. Yes. yes. Um, but when we get into modern geopolitics, the conversation can get a little clear, uh, you know, a little murky at times. But biblically, Israel is God's chosen people through whom he would bring about the Messiah, through whom he would bring about his plan to redeem the lost back to him. And that's, that's Israel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, eschatologically, that's where the you get to pick one of many sets of rails that you want to go off of. Um, so there are there's there's this idea there, there's a number of different ways of thinking about it you you have the left behind series you mentioned which is representative of uh, a school of thought known as uh, premillennial dispensationalism right darby and ryrie and all those guys yes yeah. and this this envisions um effectively two different peoples of God. There's the Israel track and then there's the church track and they have, God has different plans for them both. And, um, his, his unique plan for the church has by and large been realized, although we're still waiting for more of the nations to come in and be baptized and join themselves to Christ through faith. But there is also a unique and altogether different plan for Israel that is running parallel in some sense. They're different, but they're both moving towards the end times. And God has in this system, again, and this is not something that we promote around here, but in this system of thought, which you mentioned is about 150 years old, um, there is a there is a, an Israeli uh, Hebrew Jewish people eschatological option, and they will be saved in this way. And then the, the church, the Gentiles will be redeemed in this other way. Right. And I, you can't justify it biblically. You could find it in a Bible, but it will be in the study notes in the bottom of the Schofield study Bible. The Schofield, not Ryrie. Yeah, it was Schofield. That's right. So, yeah. Well, uh, no, Ryrie would share the idea. Oh, would Ryrie have Ryrie Ryrie was, similar? Ryrie and, uh, and a guy named Darby were Darby. very yep, instrumental, yep, yep, and then yep. it was codified in the Schofield study okay. Bible. yes. Um, and, and again, it's not in the biblical text. It's in the, the study notes in the bottom of the page. It's the interpretation of. Yes. Um, is there a little eisegesis going, a little reading into some things maybe? Yeah. We don't have to get in those weeds. No, but, but I mean, but here's, here's where I think I, I, I can understand the complexity. Is that when you have a more, um, you, you can believe the Bible is scripture and believe that some of it is going to be fulfilled or explained, um, not just literally, but more what I had a professor always say, it's not literal versus figurative. It's literal. Um, it's, it's, it's literally figurative, right? So it's, there's still a literal meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the problems that people have that confuses them is God's promises to the nation of Israel are some of those fulfilled in Christ and then therefore in 
the people of Christ, which is the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do they find the fulfillment of the nation streaming into? Do they find the fulfillment of the, the, the way that the land is described and being populous and joyful? You know, is that is that going back to what Ryan was describing, is that just ethnic Israel? Is that mm-hmm. just the land between the river and the sea? Is it just that? And you've got these prophetic texts about the end, right? Being restorative and regenerative and overpowering and blessings. And there are some people that just go, well, look when it was written. It was written before the time of Christ. So it's not written to Christians. It's written to, and then you've got to ask the question, is that the best biblical way to understand it? Or Mm -hmm. is there a fulfillment that happens in Christ? Yes. So then you have to ask the question, these amazing verses that are describing a lot of things happening and Israel being blessed. When Isaiah writes it, obviously he's not going to write the church. So, but is he implying, since these are coming in the latter chapters of Isaiah, is he implying that it is both to Israel, the the ethnic Israel people, and those who have joined them in following their Messiah, yeah. which is kind of how I think Isaiah and the the rest of the prophets saw it, is they they saw Israel embracing their Messiah and rejecting. Don't get me wrong, yeah. and rejecting um, Isaiah fifty three. They saw Israel embracing and rejecting like they always have. And then there was this inclusion of this other group of people, right? Yeah. And, but I don't know if they necessarily thought, and then Israel wouldn't, or Israel would. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just I don't know if they saw that. So the guys that begin to confuse things are the ones that always have this hard-line separation. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're seeing it biblically. They're trying to interpret it literally. Um, and then you you have to say, okay, is is that what the prophets are intending, yeah. or are a lot of those blessings meaningly to be understood as literally coming true, figuratively in this way? And I, I think that is not a way that the the names that we've already mentioned um, they they run into the same problems in the Left Behind series, which have nothing to do with Israel, mm-hmm. but they again selectively choose a literal, literal understanding. These things are literally true and they will happen literally. And I would argue, no, 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 they are literally true and they will happen figuratively. So that would be the, that would be the difference between I think how these things happen. So I think there is still um, an eschatological component and eschatology is just the end of time, the end, the last final things, things, the final things. So there are eschatological implications. The question is what are yours? And a lot of people have significantly bought into that the Bible, and it always it always concerns me when people clearly states. Now, it does clearly state a lot of things, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but when someone says to me, the Bible clearly states that in the end times, Israel will be this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. That is when I go, okay, I don't think you're doing justice yeah. to the text. Now, I think it is clear enough to be understood, but I don't think it is so clear that what you're describing, like I get the the yeah. complexity of it, I get the ambiguity of it, and and what they're trying to do is they're trying to look at these magnificent texts mm-hmm. that are promised to Israel, and they have no ability to now. How does the coming of the Messiah and the new people that are coming from that? How do they fit into the end plan of God? And there are some people that don't like the complexity of bringing those things together. Yeah, and it reminds me of Paul's language about being grafted, right? Well, the Gentiles being grafted in. Yeah, so yeah. very clearly, uh, his language would suggest otherwise. Yeah. Th- yeah. Not this wall, this long wall. Yeah, and so even contra the, the two-track theory that the church and Israel are on their own paths towards eternal glory, 
there's the there's another uh, framework called replacement theology, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which says that Israel had its heyday, and then at Pentecost the church functionally replaces Israel. Um, one of the one of the, my my concerns with that is that Paul, you just mentioned Romans ten, uh, the the grafting in Paul when he talks about. Um, he doesn't talk about the church as uh, he does reference the church to be the Israel of God at times. Actually, I think that's Peter. But Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he, he still talks about Jew and Gentile as distinct groups. Ethnically speaking. Or, or even even eschatologically, eschatologically speaking, different, yeah. he and so he and it's not as though they have a different path. So there's there's replacement theology, which has this hard stop, and Israel ceases to be meaningful in yeah. going forward. Then there's dispensationalism, which is its own thing, and then there's this other idea, and there are many others. But there's one of the more common ones is what's known as covenantal theology. And so one of the things that covenantal theology asks us to do is in the Old Testament, when you read Israel, it might be helpful for our minds to read, you know, just for replace that word with the people of God. And when the Gentile inclusion explodes, the people of God now includes two different categories. There is both Jew and Gentile, but they're all the people of God by virtue of the work of Christ. So there's not a Jewish path that goes through the temple and the sacrificial system and a church path that goes through the cross and empty tomb. They're still in Christ. And I think this is what a lot of what Romans 9, 10, and 11 is getting on about. Yet Paul does not just call Gentiles the new Israel. He says, no, you were grafted in. Right. And he, and he clearly distinguishes them from his fellow, his Jewish brothers that he longs for, aches for, hopes that they will discover the Messiah and, and yep. even pray, like envisions a day when there will be this incredible, um, not the saving of all Jews. He never says it like that, but that the, the Jews will turn towards their Messiah in faith. And then, and, and again, that's, that's more of a covenantal look, right? It's still a singular group of people, but there's variety within. So would it be fair to say that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, let's say, is, is finds its fulfillment in Christ? Yes. And then the New Covenant replaces the Old Covenant, but that's not the same thing as a hard stop on the people of Israel or the Jews yeah. and then the, the Gentile inclusion. Those are really two, kind of two different things. Well, right? I mean, I think, I, you know, here's what I think Ryan and I would say. Um, and many others, right? I think our church would generally believe this. And when I say that, not every person who attends Sunnybrook, but I think mm-hmm. our, our I think our staff would generally believe this. They may not be able to articulate it to the same degree. Um, but you cannot just believe that God has a uh, biblically speaking. You you cannot argue that what the scriptures teach is that Israel has this unique as an ethnicity, as a as a land, as a whatever part to play in the end times. Nope, that's I don't think that's right. But then to also then have like this hard stop where mm-hmm. no 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 and and they really kind of cease to exist as yeah, a people. Yeah, they're irrelevant anymore. Yeah, they're they're it's it's like no, like both of those we we don't want to have a hard stop at 70 AD if that's what we want to choose it when the temple is destroyed and you know Israel had a chance to get in and now they're done. No, nope, that's not true. Um, you know, you're right. Like God's going to totally bring back the temple. And this is kind of wrapped up in their oh, yeah. theology. There are people right? that believe all the stuff for the temple is stored in some underground bunker oh, and they're yes. going to destroy the mosque on the Temple Mountain. Well, that and stuff. that's why we got to care about Israel, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's why we got to care about what's going on. That's why we got to care. And it's because in the end, like God's going to use them in this in this salvific, saving way. Mm-hmm. And so they have a role to play. They have a part to play. And I'm, I'm wanting to say, are you talking like apart from Christ? 
and apart from the gospel and apart from oh yeah and and that's that's mm-hmm. where ryan and i are going you lost us yeah so we don't want to ha- have a hard stop at 70 ad and we don't want to have like this weird they call it a pause they literally the, the church age is this pause from 70 that, to 1948 yes or or yeah honestly <laughs> right. yeah probably the reestablishment sense, of the nation yes the reestablishment of the nation and now all of a sudden israel is going to get this new part to play and where we would say, we'd say, listen, God may have a plan for Israel that I don't, I don't know. Okay, totally cool with that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm arguing. Ryan and I are describing that we believe the Bible actually teaches that there isn't the use of Israel described in Scripture apart from what we see in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, if you, I think, if you read Paul, it's really, really clear. I think even in the teachings of Jesus. When Jesus calls Jewish people, beginning with, I mean, almost exclusively, he tells the disciples, don't go anywhere else. Just go to your own people, mm-hmm. right? And he does this for three years. Just yeah. go to your own people. Just go to your own people. Um, and I'm, I'm not offended by that. I just Whatever Jesus says, I'm all for. And so there is this, we're going we're gonna to preach to the Jews. Paul had this as his ministry, focusing on the Jews. But he wasn't like, hey, go, go Israel. He was like, no, Israel, come to Christ. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was his thing. He would go, and then when they wouldn't come to their Messiah, Israel's Messiah, that's when he said, "Fine, I'm going." to This next step is what Ryan recently taught on on, on Romans nine through eleven. The next step is, by the way, I'm, and Jesus taught this too. I am now opening up the doors. This is my always been my plan is to bless all the nations of the earth mm-hmm. through my people from this place where the Messiah would be born and where the Messiah would live. So there's a land component in it. But the purpose of it is is God, and part of the Godness of God is the Messiah, which is Jesus, his mm-hmm. his one and only Son, truly both divine and human. That's where the fulfillment is, and so I will always have a tenderness in my heart for Israel, for the people. There's something special. We've all been to the land oh, together. Oh man, yeah, and it is it's inspiring. Yes, it's, it's incredible. There is something special about the land because of all of those things in the history. And yet, I have to be careful that when I'm on the Temple Mount, I've been with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm on the Temple Mount, what I cannot do is long for the temple to return. Mm-hmm. Long for the sacrificial system to return. Long for the, I mean, the Hebrew writer would stand yeah, up I mean, if he yeah. was here and go, what is You're wrong with out you Out of your people? mind. Yeah. So that's the part that I would say that, that the church sometimes, or Christians unintentionally, that they begin to mix up. So it's not about, you know, the Apostle Paul, Jesus loved to say this, if you followed Moses, you'd follow me. So don't yep. tell me you follow Moses, because yeah. if you follow Moses, you'd follow me. And Paul actually talked about that let's be like Abraham. And those who truly are, they're not circumcised in the flesh. They're circumcised in the heart. Mm -hmm. And those are the true, you know, don't don't say you're descendants of Abraham. God could raise it from these stones, John Mm -hmm. the Baptist argues, right? God could raise it from these stones. So there is always a love for the Jewish people Mm -hmm. in Scripture, right? Mm -hmm. And, And in a sense, I will say that in some way it would not shock me at all if God said, yep, I've got something in me and just loves them in a very special way. Just like my dad looks at one of my sisters in a very special way, I think it's kind of cute. Yeah. Does that make sense? And it's mm-hmm. his prerogative to do. Mm-hmm. Um, God perfectly loves without a stitch of doing anything wrong, how he loves, who he loves, when he loves, where he loves. And I, I think that for those who want to say, well, I think the Jewish people are still the apple of God's eye. I want to say, I'm not going to argue with you. I have no idea. Yeah. Now, if you want to argue this apart from Christ, you lost me. 
Yeah. Apart from the gospel, I'm not going there. But if you want to still recognize that there's something, then yeah, then yes. I mean, just real quickly. So Romans nine is all about isn't God's grace amazing that it spilled over even to the Gentiles, and then Romans ten is lamenting the fact that Israel has rejected this Messiah. And then in 11, Paul has this strange hope for some future influx of, of, of Israel coming yeah, to, to yeah. back to the Lord. And, but it's not apart from Christ. And I love this line. This is in Romans 11, verse 23. He says, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. He's talking about those who have been pruned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, God's grace is so overwhelming, it can bring them back in, regraft them in, if they do not persist in unbelief. And so it has nothing to do with a temple that would have been still standing when he wrote this. It has everything to do with what do they do with this Messiah. Yes. And Paul and Paul seems to have this. This is what I, I confessed to the class. I said, I have no under no way to justify why Paul feels this way. But he seems to have some apostolic insight into some future mass acceptance of the of the Messiah by many of the people of Israel. Never he never speaks of Israel in all encompassing terms. It's not everyone. He, when he says Gentile, he doesn't mean every Gentile right, on the planet. Right. But he's he kind of a, a scholar that I was really uh, blessed by as I was preparing for this lesson. His name is John Barclay, and he said what Paul. Uh, rhetorically does is he is so amazed that God's grace would even be extended to Gentiles that he says, if that can happen, imagine what his grace could do with his people yeah. down the road. Yeah. It's yeah. like a, if this, then what about that? If this, then that type kind of like a Jewish greater to lesser type thing. Hmm. Frameworks. We talked about premillennialism. We talked about covenant theology and replacement theology. So, uh, do we have a framework that we we would say that we embrace, or is it just we're we're just approaching the scriptures and trying to do our best to interpret them, and it doesn't necessarily fit into a well-known framework? Yeah, well, it it's interesting. I, I had I've had this conversation with my friend Uri, um, um, because he had not really actually heard formally. I think until I'm going to say recently, five years or so. Yeah, its idea about replacement theology. Mm-hmm. And he was taking like a, this real hard line against it. He was describing it as, you know, this is how the church operates. And he, he was explaining it. And he had, I, I would argue, again, I mean, we're allowed to disagree. I would argue that his understanding of it was um, an extreme version of it, right? Which is that God totally gave up on the Jews and then totally gives it to the Gentiles. And I think that any any rise of that is kind of where anti-Semitism comes from, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I get it, I'm not agreeing with it, but I, I get the logic, which is this is what they did to Jesus. I mean, I get how you could read what Jesus says is going to happen in 70 AD and just go, man, God is judging the Jewish people. Right. And there's Once no way and around, for all. Once yeah. and for, there's, yeah. no, there's no way around that. I don't know how in church history we went, yeah, hate them all, still hate them. <laughs> like, I don't know how you do that. You lost me. Again, yeah. it's like, I don't, I don't know how you got there. So I'm going to try to speak where the Bible speaks and try to understand that it's 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 when you have a replacement theology where the Jews are now done that I'm going I ah, get lost me yeah that's not that's that's not even a good understanding of Matthew 28 and going into all the nations right so th- that is that is that is definitely wrong so that kind of hard step replacement theology God doesn't care about Israel anymore he only cares about the church I don't get it and also 
I think that it is important that we do not give up on the fact. And I, I really think of Ephesians 2 in this text, right? Paul seems to believe something better has happened in Christ, that there is a mystery in the gospel, which that God is now making, this is verses 11 through 22, that God is now making in Christ a new people, the new one that exists. Same with the Hebrew writer. Too. Yes. Yeah. And, and the part I want to remind people is that it's not to the exclusion of the Jews, right? Or the nation of Israel, or not the nation, but the, the people of Israel. Right. It's not to their exclusion. It's that we all then come in under their Messiah, right? So, and that's, that's I'd like, I feel like I've been grafted in. I feel like I've been adopted into God's family. I feel like Abraham is like my grandfather and I'm going to call him grandfather and grandpa and I'm going to have this and Uncle David and all of those things. And yet, if you were to look at my birth certificate, I feel like I'm adopted, mm-hmm. right? And Paul uses mm-hmm. adoptive language. So that's the part that I think would, would be the best biblical understanding of it, that there, it's not the kind of replacement that is, we're done with you. It's the kind of replacement that I have more planned for the people of the earth. And so there is chronologically, and maybe even at some other levels, I'd, I'd be open to this, a primacy of Abraham and his descendants that has been a blessing that includes all people today. So that's the part that I, again, I don't understand anti-Semitism. And I would also, so don't do that. And then I would also caution also against blindly accepting anything that Israel might do ever at any time as being okay mm-hmm. because they're God's chosen people. And, and that's where, again, I think we begin to lose our witness. It's we've got to be able to do the hard work of valuing and appreciating the people of God historically, the nation of Israel historically, and, and, and even, even today. So, you know, Ryan and I have talked about this quite a bit. I, I think a lot of the geopolitical, if we're going to use that terminology, that we have to work through today is in many ways more in line with how we should look at any of the nations of the world. Right. They are and, a liberal uh, democracy, yes, right? Uh, yes. Not a theocracy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So in the yeah. end, it's like, and I, I think as 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 a church, this is where I think we need to let our theology from Scripture about how human beings should treat one another, or the complexities of a government protecting its right to protect its people. Mm-hmm. Right. You have all of these things that I think then are still biblically informed. But they're not biblically informed because it's promising a prophecy about what's going to happen on the Temple Mount yeah. 40 years after 1940. That's where, again, I, you lost me. Yeah. But I still think the Bible speaks really, 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 really strongly. And that is why I heard somebody say, they weren't even a Christian, but here's what a lady said. I am pro-Israel and I am pro-Palestinian. I refuse to say that I have to choose one over the other. I think that's a Christian answer. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I've never thought to myself that... Um, the nation of Israel can do whatever it wants. I've never thought that. And I, I won't even get into the particulars. I don't even know if I trust the information that I'm getting about mm-hmm. all the particulars. Mm-hmm. But as as a, as a people, we've got to think through this from a biblically informed position. This is what what we have to do. Um, but there 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 is, a, in many senses, kind of a, a leveling of the playing field. And so I, I'm trying to be consistent as I look at how Ukraine is dealing with Russia or how uh, other people groups Yemen is dealing with, or Israel is dealing with, or the Palestinians are dealing with. I think that is where, for the sake of the gospel, we need to still have an ethic. 
Mm-hmm. We still need to have a principle, and that is why I still line up um, in, in many ways with a, a nation's sovereign right to protect its citizens and the kind of horrific things that happened on, like, just un, like, unspeakable, un, unspeakable yeah. un, undefendable things happened on October 7th. Yeah. Um, there's just no way you can get around that mm-hmm. for any reason. Right, that's a, and that's a scriptural conviction I have. Right, that I'm I'm shocked anybody could actually disagree with, and yet that does not mean that then I don't have other thoughts about how the outworking of those things yeah. kind of line up. So I'm I'm aware of my biases. I'm aware of my convictions. I'm aware of all of those things. I'm trying to kind of work that out, but we cannot allow um, bad understanding of the scripture to be our our guiding force. I think that is when we lose our witness in our community, which is still our number one thing. Mm-hmm. And that is why at the end of Uri's thing that he delivered here at the church, I wanted to stand up and say, listen, he's allowed to speak those things. And I think as Christians, we need to hear them. But let's remember it is the gospel. It is the gospel that shapes us. It is the gospel that comforts us. It's the gospel that motivates us. We never give up on the Imago Day of all humanity. Okay, so I got one more question as we uh, wrap up here, and that is how should uh, all of this discussion affect our prayers for that part of the world, oh, and, good. and how should it season our conversations with others? We want to be wise and discerning, and a lot of the things you just said, really. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that, you know, this this really flows through everything that Jim just, just said, but I think that our prayers should be, um, uh, on, on behalf of others, begging God for justice and mercy. Yeah. At every turn, whether Israeli or Palestinian, I want I want justice and I want mercy and I want compassion and I, so like my prayers become very humanitarian oriented. Um beseeching the only one who has the absolute capacity to affect any real lasting change. Mm-hmm. So um and you know there's there's this there's this temptation to pray for for peace at all costs, but without getting too far into the weeds, that is a little short-sighted if you're also talking to a god of justice. Yeah, and um, I you know you you can't read the Psalms very long before you you see this pattern of asking God to punish the wicked, um, and not with you know divine lightning bolts, but through human military means oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a disconcerting thought for a lot of us that can feel mean, that could feel vengeful. But if we, if we trust God that vengeance is his, then we're just asking God to do what God does. And so I, I look as I, you know, scroll through the news and I see this atrocity or this um, tragedy, I'm, I'm often find myself begging him to, rain down justice in whatever capacity he sees fit. Those are what my prayers sound like a lot right now. Well, and on these prayers, I think it's good for us to remember that um, who we are in this. And that's why whenever you're, whenever you're dealing with a difficult prayer, I always remember who I'm praying to. Because sometimes I get so into the what I'm praying about. No, no, tell me who you're praying to. I'm praying to God. And why are you praying to him? Because this is above my pay grade. Because I can't figure this out. And so when I have had a good friend who needed a lung transplant and I'm praying that it happens, I get what I'm praying for, right? And I love the idea of going, but then God's the only one that can do this perfectly. Like, I'm not running out trying to find a set of lungs for this guy. Like, I'm praying for the Lord to do it. Mm -hmm. And that brought me peace. 
right? And, and, yet, and yet the complexity of the situation remained the oh, same. Yeah. So what Ryan's describing is so true. That's why I think, if anything, there needs to be a sense of humility to not understand the complexity of the geopolitical situation of the over a hundred year conflict. If you think that some kind of protest or some kind of slogan can do justice to this, like I, I would just question whether or not you're being um, fair, right, or Christian. And informed. Or informed, yeah, right? I mean, it's informed. just, you're just not informed. I'll never forget standing on the hills outside of Bethlehem where the shepherds would have been yeah. encountering the angels and Uri talking about the geopolitical complexities because Bethlehem is Palestinian controlled, right? Yes. So we're looking at a fence all the way around yes. the city. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, I have no idea how complicated this really yeah. is. So, yeah. And so for you all of a sudden to become a whatever. It's just like, no, there's so much more that's mm -hmm. actually here. And so I, I really do believe that our prayers need to be, in that sense, humble. Mm -hmm. That what, what I, where I get into trouble is when I move beyond my prayers, or I don't really value my prayers as genuine prayers, and I begin to start taking, whether it's justice or mercy, into my own hands. Like, we always talk about be careful of taking justice into your own hands. I would recommend we be mindful making mercy, into taking mercy into our own hands all the time without a biblically informed idea. Because for me to call something good, that is evil. And calling it mercy, it is reprehensible to God. Mm -hmm. So when God rains down justice and I go, no, 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 mercy, 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 I'm wrong. And so that becomes, I think, the humility. Um, so the one person, I mean, I'm always aware if I'm talking to you or if I'm talking to, to Steve or if I'm talking to Ryan or if I'm talking to Uri or whoever, talking to our congregation, I get how I will speak about that. The one I think I love talking to the most about this is God. And and Ryan's perfect, or perfectly is articulated it perfectly. We need to be praying for God's justice and God's mercy to to come down for those who are wicked all through this. And I mean, here's what I'll, I'll tell you too, is that whenever there is a war, there is um, there are not just casualties on both sides, but there's there's really broken people making decisions on both sides and to be able to kind of dice through that and say, yeah, there were probably were some bad things that some American soldiers did in world war two. I don't know if that nullifies everything America. I mean, I know it doesn't nullify everything America did in worlds, no, but it also doesn't justify these things. Right. And I, I think like that is what a common sense, biblically informed Christian needs to be able to do. And we have to take the depth of that complexity to the Lord and say, God, I, I need you to just, quiet my heart, calm my mind, um, inform me, teach me discernment, teach me my limits, teach me to not believe that, um, that I can fix this or change this with a tweet or with a, um, uh, you know, some kind of a post or some coffee conversation. And so it really has caused me, I can imagine what I would say, I've, I've done a lot of praying about this, I can imagine what I would have said 20 years ago. And I'm really grateful the Lord has taught me <laughs> Shush. <laughs> Appreciate your insight, guys. Uh, we hope you have found this helpful, inspiring. Listen, we love to uh, meet and talk with, with anyone yeah. who has further questions or want to clarify things. We'd love to hear from you. So please don't hesitate to reach out if you would like to uh, talk one-on-one -on -one about some of these things.